All right, friends, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. All right, that was not bad. Two weeks ago, we were in Acts 19, which Paul's ministry into the church uh, at Ephesus. Last week, we talked about Paul's farewell address to the leaders, to the elders at Ephesus. So it only makes sense that for the next few weeks, we should be reading the book of Ephesians. Exactly. The book of Ephesians. Now, what we're reading, a little bit of a heads up, what we are reading is an epistle. Somebody said epistle. Epistle. Now, an epistle, we say, what's an epistle? An epistle is a letter written by an apostle. And most of the time, well, I guess almost all the time, uh, letters are written for a reason. Now, that might sound silly to say, but it helps us to read and respond to Scripture if we keep in mind what we're reading apostles or would write letters, Paul would write letters to churches, usually, almost always, to address something. There was an occasion. There was a reason for the letter. And he was uh, addressing a problem, answering a question. Sometimes, or a lot of times, he was confronting a problem or bringing correction to stuff going on in the church. And so a lot of times when we read uh, these epistles, we're reading, um, we're kind of reading half the conversation, and so it, that kind of helps us understand what's going on. But there's a difference with the letter to the Ephesians. The letter to the Ephesians doesn't bear any of the normal marks of being uh, confrontational or corrective. Really, it sounds much more like a celebration. It just celebrates what is true, and, 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 and it's a letter of encouragement, and yet, for today, for the contemporary reader, it's still, though, just being true, it confronts, it corrects, it instructs, and encourages us as we read it. Here's some of the things that I think Ephesians still speaks to us about today. Ephesians corrects what is too, too often degrades into a poor and weak view of Christianity. Anytime you use the word just in front of who you are as a believer, I'm just forgiven, just a Christian, it's just church, it's just that, then we have lost sight of the high and holy thing it means to be in Christ. Ephesians lifts our view. Ephesians inspires us. It calls us to come up higher, to live up higher, to see the view from here. It corrects what is often a low view of church or our calling. It corrects a, a compartmentalized view of family or work. It lifts all of these things. It also reminds us of spiritual realities, of contrary forces that are at work in this world and reminds us that we are well able and expected to resist and overcome them. Ephesians also corrects any view, any view, any idea that heaven is somehow holding back from us. Reveals to us that God in Christ to us is incredibly and immeasurably generous. The thing I perhaps would like to affirm most to us in this season in our life is this. Ephesians inspires us to be so possessed 
by what is yet possible. That we cannot be content with what is or what has been. There is more. Somebody say that out loud with me. There is more. And we will become what we truly believe. Now, in terms of the letter itself, it's not an essay. <laughs> it's a letter. Somebody say it's a letter. That's our first clickety-clack there. It's a letter. Say it again. It's a letter. It's a letter. Oh, say it with a smile. It's a letter. It's, a letter. it's not an essay. It's not a sermon. It's not a dissertation. I have been guilty in the past of treating Ephesians like all of those things. I have, in my enthusiasm, in my youth, in my enthusiasm, in my youth, I have approached this text and tried to teach it by, by diagramming sentences, by parsing Greek words. And while that might make some of us feel lofty or elevated, if you... This, is, this letter is not to be overly dissected. If you dissect something, you kill it. Yeah. Nobody wants to eat something di dissected. This is not to be overly dissected. It is to be wholly digested. It is for us to receive and to digest so that we will become, you are what you eat, right? Now, in terms of understanding it or breaking it apart or organizing it, the, the Ephesians can be organized into two parts. Most of Pauline uh, literature can be organized into two parts. Um, chapters 1, 2, and 3 affirm and celebrate and declare that which is true. These are things that are true about who God is and what he has done for us in Christ and who we are because of it and how we relate to him and how we relate to each other and all of that. 1, 2, 3 tell us what is true. And then 4, 5, and 6 affirm what we should do. There's a part that tells us what is true and a part that tells us what we should do. Does that make sense? Yes. Right? And then the, and there's a shift. There's an axis in chapter 4, verse 1. says, and it depends on the version that you're reading, but there's a therefore statement. Therefore, Paul says, you should live, NIV, or other versions, walk. You should live or walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. And it's so important that we understand that leverage or that dynamic. Walk worthy of the calling you have received. It doesn't say earn the calling by the way you live. It doesn't say that you earn it or you achieve it or somehow you're entitled to it. But in other words, you live in live and it wholly live, truly live in response to what has happened to you. Live in real and uh, powerful honor of what God has done for us in Christ. So we begin in chapter 1, where Paul erupts in praise to God for what he has done for us in Christ. And here's our one sentence for us today. It's, it's this. In Christ, we have been blessed. Would you say that out loud with me? In Christ, we have been blessed. Now, I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Uh, all at once, but I want to let you know ahead of time that verses 3 through 14 are in the, in the original Greek. I know I'm not dissecting it, I promise. In the original Greek is one sentence. Yeah. One, verse 3 through 14, one sentence. And if we remember that Paul is probably not writing this, he is dictating it. Oh, yeah. So you need to feel 
that the, the person writing, <laughs> Paul takes a deep breath and erupts in praise. So we, and this is not necessarily meant for us to then to go, well, I wonder, we'll take a microphone. Yes, he's doing it under the inspiration of the Spirit, so every word matters. But again, we should breathe in this massive exhale of praise that Paul is giving. Are you ready? So we're going to try to read it like that. Now, in our Bibles, there's lots of periods and lots of sentences because they tried to make it work. But understand, this is one long exhale praise from Paul. Ready? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people. Say, that's me. That's me. Okay, God's, God's holy people in Vancouver <laughs> and the surrounding area. The, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen or made heirs, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In Christ, we have been blessed. That opening salvo in verse 3 sets the tone Chapter 1, and really for the whole of the letter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Every spiritual blessing. Are you hearing Ephesians tell us that heaven hasn't held back? That there's no holding back. That God is not, that we are not trying to get God's attention. That, that, that he initiated, he has turned his face toward us. And that every blessing in, that, in the heavenly realms have, has been given to us in Christ. And they are conveyed to us by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul lays out a bouquet of those blessings. From verse 4 to verse 14. He lays them out. Now, most of these that we read are imported from the Old Testament. It's important that we read this and not try to read it with our John Calvin glasses on. If you know, then you know. Otherwise, don't worry about it. But uh, we read this with understanding that Ephesus is, a, is an early congregation made up of Jews and Gentiles. And that Paul wants them to know 
that what God has planned, you heard it right there, that what God has always had planned, what God has always had in his heart is now being fulfilled in the church, in Christ. So all of the covenantal realities, all of those things initiated by God, given to Israel, they are now given to and realized fully by those of us who are in Christ. That's pretty good. What are those blessings? In Christ we have been blessed. Well, you might ask, how have we been blessed? How have we been oh, thank you for asking. Well, we'll begin this. Here it is, verse 4. Verse 4 says that we have been chosen to be holy and blameless. You were chosen to be holy and blameless. Not to, not to do your, I mean, yes, there's a degree to where that's, that's, who, that's our identity and that's, we should live that way. But he's not saying God chose you and, and he's watching and seeing how well you're going to perform. But it is his ch- choosing that makes this happen to you. He, this happened to us, it happened for us, it happened by him. It is the power of his choosing that makes us holy and blameless before him. Verse 5 says, we have been predestined to adoption to sonship. He's using Roman language here to describe what happens in, in, the, in Roman law when a son would be adopted into a family. That in, adoption gave that son full legal status permanently in the home irrevocable equal status in the home this is what god has done for us in christ and not just this is it's too big it really is ephesians if it doesn't blow your mind you're not reading it right because he's not just saying he's giving us equal status with one another take a deep breath he has brought us into giving us status with his own son And this is all his idea. It originated with him. It is not because we are somehow entitled or we're a big deal. He's a big deal. Verse 7 says, we have redemption through his blood. We emphasize this almost every every time we gather around the Lord's table. Redemption means, first of all, deliverance from slavery. It means to be purchased away from another power. You and I, we have redemption. We have been purchased away from another power. We are no longer under the power of Satan, of sin, and of darkness, and of slavery. Because of the blood of Jesus, we have redemption. So redemption, and and, and we'll, we'll see it later on, that we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So to be redeemed means to be bought, bought from and brought near. Verse 7 also says we have the forgiveness of sins. Somebody say the forgiveness of sins. sins. Need to remind you again, and don't be offended until we finish the sentence. You are not forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. To be forgiven means to be cut off, to be sent away, to be forgotten. You are not cut off. You are not sent away. You are not forgotten. Your sins have been but you, by the blood of Jesus, have been redeemed. Yes. Verse 11 says we are chosen. Now you say, hey, man, we already read that. Yeah, in the NIV it says chosen again, but it means to be made heirs. You have been made heirs. You have received an inheritance that is yours now, that you have rights to now, but that inheritance will be 
fully revealed and realized at the return of Christ. And then in verses 13 and 14, really he summarizes it. Here is the culmination, the crescendo of this blessing. He says, in him, having believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. To be sealed means to, to, be, to, to be marked in such a way that, that, that indicates security and identification. You are sealed. You're protected. You belong to him. The Holy Spirit is God's seal on your life. He's not going to lose track of you. He's not going to lose sight of you. You belong to him. You, you matter to him. And, 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 it, and it identifies you as his own. You belong to him. He has put his own spirit on you. Then he says that that spirit is a deposit that guarantees. A deposit that guarantees. You want to say that out loud with me? A deposit that guarantees. The spirit of God is the first installment of heaven. He is the first installment of heaven in the now. It is God moving in and being present in our lives in all these heavenly realities that the Spirit of God has come as a deposit. Literally the same substance of what is to come later. Anybody ever bought something you put a deposit down? You didn't make a deposit of apples and then pay with you know, cash later. You pay with you, what the deposit is the same substance of what is to come. And the Holy Spirit is our deposit of heaven in the now. And he is a deposit that guarantees what is to come. This is so important. Paul, doesn't, this isn't the only place he says this. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, it says, He anointed us, setting his seal of ownership on us, and he put his seal, pardon me, he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. It is so essential that we hear this, that the Holy Spirit is the deposit that, uh, that assures us of what is to come. He is received and experienced in the present, but his presence is the assurance of the future. In that way, he is, he is edifying in the now. He has an ethical influence in our life now. All that, all that he is doing in our life is essentially, you know, making us live like we belong somewhere else. He is a holy influence. He is a healing influence. He is an ethical influence. And he is an eschatological reality. His presence in our life reminds us that we are stamped with eternity. This is why, one of the reasons why we must never treat the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, like it's a doctrine. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit isn't a doctrine. He's not, he's not a style. He's not a denomination. He is our deposit of heaven. The more we open our hearts and lives to the ministry of the Spirit, the greater influence that heaven will have upon our lives now and the greater assurance we will have of the age to come. In Christ, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. How important is all of this? What do all these blessings mean? Well, they probably mean more than we could enumerate today. 
But let me offer just a couple of things. All of this affirms, friends, that not only should we live high and holy lives, but that we can. We should because we can, and we can because of what has happened to us. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We have been chosen. We have been adopted. We have been redeemed. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been made heirs. And we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So how would you live if you believed this were true of you? How should we live because this is true. You will only really live like what you believe. You cannot, we cannot live differently than how we really believe. We can fake it for a little while. We can force it for a smidge. But ultimately, if there's going to be real change in our life, it has to be become we, it has to be because we have believed something more deeply that what we believe has taken deeper root in our life so how do we respond to this what do we do well we don't have to guess the text actually gives us two responses right there the first one is praise somebody say praise praise the whole thing begins with it are you in that key for all hail King Jesus? That's where you should go. Yeah. <laughs> I have no doubt that we could be. The first one is praise. The, the whole passage begins with praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. It's all, it's all summarized and culminated with the voice of praise. And praise is so important. Praise is the first and the right response to all that God has done for us. Praise recognizes that all of this is from God and not from me. Praise also affirms and presses upon our hearts and our minds that these things are already true. Praise prevents us from being beggars and pleaders and whiners and worriers. Oh, Lord, you know, asking to be chosen or asking to be forgiven or asking to be redeemed. No, they're all, I, praise reminds me these things are already true. So praise is the right thing to do toward heaven. And it is the best thing to do for our own hearts and minds. It presses these realities upon our lives. And then prayer. Praise and prayer. That's how Paul actually, well, it's sort of how he almost finishes with prayer. He says this, for this reason, for everything he just said, he said, ever since I heard about your faith and your love in the Lord Jesus, verse 17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that your eyes, pardon me, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I'm going to put more words in there. That you may know, which is, these are all present active verbs, know right now, know right now as your own experience, the hope to which he has called you. That you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Verse 19, and that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. This This should be our prayer. We should also pray that God would give us his spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know him better. We should pray that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, that we would know the hope he has called us to, the riches of his inheritance to us. And God, help us to know that incomparably great power you have toward us. Holy Spirit, here's a prayer right on the screen. Holy Spirit, come and help us to see, help us to know, Help us to believe and even feel by your spirit, Lord, what has happened to us and who we are and what is ours because we are in Christ. And then, Lord, help us to live like it. This must be our prayer as well. But Paul, he finishes, he comes back to it, He finishes that prayer with praise once again. When he talks about that incomparably great power, he said that's the same power as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of, of, every, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. All hail King Jesus. We, that's right. That's the, let's stand. Jesus.
house. We bless you, Lord. We magnify you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Friends, go in Christ. You have been blessed. May the Lord help us to live like it. God bless you.